I invite you to turn with me to uh, Matthew's Gospel, to chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be, be looking at just a couple of verses out of Matthew 18, verses 7 through 9. Let me ask a question. Do you understand, you think you understand, what sanctification is? Those big, big words uh, that we often use, we kind of throw it out there, but do we really understand uh, day after day in the midst of life what sanctification is? So sanctification, uh, it is that process, and that's an important word, process, by which the Lord is constantly working upon those who now belong to Him. Uh, those who have said, Lord, I I'm Yours. Do with me as You will. Now, that, th those are wor the words of a disciple. Now, disciples don't always uh, say them with a, a, a complete open heart because we know something about what that might mean, uh, that it does mean pain at times, it does mean challenges. But at the same time, there is this sense within one who belongs to, to Christ in which we have said, Lord, come in and do that work within us. Make me into a new creature. You know, something like uh, someone moving into a, a house, uh, so they take up residence in this house and, and they look around and they begin this major remodeling effort. Some of you here may have done that in a home before. Now the last people who lived in that house, they looked around and, and, and the walls, they were fine. And the flooring, it, it was fine. Uh, and, and the kitchen and the bathrooms and the appliances, all of it was, was fine. It was, they were content with it. But not this new resident that moves in. Great changes, they see, are needed throughout. And that's exactly what happens when the Lord Jesus takes up residence inside of us. He begins this process of major restructuring. And what He requires of us is that we are all in. That we're, we're dedicated to this. Like I said, it's not an easy process. It is a painful process at times, but, but it's in the, in, the, in the process of taking that which is not pretty, that which we could even say is ugly, and making it beautiful. Now, the thing that we're dealing with today in this passage that we're looking at is that all-in part uh, where, where we've got to say that we, we want this, that we desire the Lord to do this work, and we, we know and we understand that what He is doing is good. Uh, and it's what we need in our lives. Being all in means that you, you know something about your own sin. And you know those places in your life where you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to falling. You've seen yourself do it again. Uh, and you know how easily you can be led astray. And therefore... You're, you're, you're willing, you're giving the Lord permission, even as you yourself take the action to do something about that uh, so that this work of remodeling can continue. Now, an aspect uh, of, of this that we're dealing with this morning is that word I mentioned earlier, temptation. 
Now, Jesus, we're at a place where Jesus, uh, having just taught his disciples about pride, for those who were here last week, you know, in that prior passage, his disciples came to him with the ugliness of pride, uh, and they said, you know, who among us is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They had been arguing amongst one another, and Jesus takes this child and, and sets the child in the midst of them, and he effectively says, become like this child. He's dealing with their sin. Now today, as we move to the topic of temptation, you can easily see the connection between the two because he's answering this question, how are we drawn into that? Or how are we drawn into sin, whether it's pride or, or lust or anger, whatever it might be, how are we drawn in and, and what are we to do with that? Uh, we need to understand temptation. And so that's where we are today. I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter 18. I'll begin in verse 7 in just a, a couple of verses. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Hmm. Please join me in prayer. Father, we, we look to you this morning seeking to take this word, your word, and, and understand it. Understand what the Lord Jesus was saying here to his disciples and uh, to those who, who follow ourselves. And, and then understand how to apply it to our own lives. Uh, and Father, we, we know that we're dealing with a, in a sense, a very difficult topic, one that, uh, that we may have a tough time being honest with ourselves and seeing in the right way just because of the way our hearts are. And so I pray that you will help us as we look at this passage. Help us to have that which only you can give us, eyes to, to truly see with honesty uh, where we are, what we need, what temptation really is. And therefore to take this which the Lord Jesus speaks about and and, and to apply it and to be changed. Uh, we pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen. You know, last, last week I took us to a particular chapter in a book that's very well known, a C.S. Lewis book, um, which is called Mere Christianity. Uh, we, we, we looked at that chapter to help us with understanding pride and understanding how it affects us and, and how to deal with pride. Well, this morning as we turn to this topic of temptation, uh, the thing that immediately came to my mind as being helpful was actually another C.S. Lewis book. Now, you may already know the one that I'm talking about. It is a fairly popular book that deals specifically with this topic, but it's called The Screwtape Letters. And if you're not familiar with, uh, with that book, it's, it's composed of 
31 fictional letters in which uh, a senior demon is writing to his nephew and his apprentice who has the name Wormwood. And Wormwood is still learning the ropes when it comes to that main occupation of, of demons, which is tempting souls away from God. And so in these letters, the experienced screw tape counsels his nephew on, on how to go about damning the soul, not just generally, not just of people, but of a particular individual that he has been assigned. And, and that individual, we never learn the man's name. He's just called the patient. Uh, but what's, what's so engaging about this book, I, I think, and, and I think it's one of the reasons that it has continued to be uh, a, a top seller for many years, multiple printings, is that it provides this behind-the-scenes look at the attempts to, to lure this person away from God and all that goes into it. So that we, we see that temptation is, is not just something, or it's portrayed in this way, that it's not just something that we're sort of, of drawn to. Uh, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, or, or something that we're drawn, that we're drawn to and, and we are fully capable of resisting. So if you can think of, of going on a, a diet for a time and, and resisting dessert for a number of weeks, it, it's not at all that type of thing, but rather it shows the individual as being the focal point of a planned assault in which he's the subject of intense study by the enemies of God, so that they, they come to know and to understand his vulnerabilities, and they're exploited one after another. You know, in, in the book, Screwtape helps Wormwood to determine what particular uh, resources and relationships in this person's life that seem godly, they seem good, but what can be turned around and twisted to their advantage. And he also suggests the most effective practices for enticing this man to take up uh, corrupt sins and thoughts and actions and take part in deadly sins. And all of this is this direct attack on one person. And so here's the effect of the book. And again, I think this, this contributes to why it's been so popular over, over so many years. And that is, it, it clearly depicts just how serious temptation is and how deadly it can be and that it's nothing to be trifled with and that it's only by the power of God that a person is able to possess any sort of victory over temptation. Now, uh, I've got to say this, this book is a work of fiction, that God doesn't give us an inside look at how the enemies of God uh, coordinate and how exactly they, they go about their work. Uh, but what he does give us, and we see that in, in the passages that we're looking at uh, today, he makes plain to us the serious nature of temptation. And he shows us how easily we can fall to it. And he shows us how deadly the consequences of temptation are in, in continuing under it. Uh, that's, at, that's at the heart of what he's teaching this morning. Uh, and so what's clear here is that because of the great danger of being led astray, uh, 
Temptation to sin must be resisted at all costs. That's, that's the main message here. Temptation to sin must be resisted at all costs. It must be treated with the utmost seriousness. But you'll notice as we read through that Jesus' disciples didn't seem to see it in that way. You know, this didn't seem to see, seem to be something that they were all that concerned with. If you look at that prior passage, how, how easily it seems that they began arguing amongst themselves, if we look at other passages talking about it, and, and, and finally to the point to coming to, to Jesus and, and saying, which one of us, you, you decide, which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And there wasn't this investigating of their hearts and recognition of how easily pride takes over. Uh, and so they weren't prepared. And therefore, what we see is Jesus addressing this with them. And the very same thing is needed by us. You know, if asked, would you be able to say, these are the areas in my life in which I am most vulnerable to falling? Would you also be aware of the times and the circumstances surrounding that? So you could say, this is what, this is what brings it about. This is what draws me in uh, more than anything else. And have you put up, put up things in your life to, to deal with that? Uh, do, you, do you ask regularly for help and for wisdom with removing that temptation uh, uh, and sin from your life? You know, I... I think if truth be told, we're often thinking in our minds that we are a lot stronger than we truly are, that, that we're not really as susceptible to falling uh, as God's Word says that we are and as others might recognize that we are. Uh, we also don't realize how, how deadly or how dangerous persistent sin can be in our lives if, if we allow it to continue. And that's why Jesus gives the warning that we find in this passage. It's almost like He's sounding an alarm. He wants to capture our attention, so He, he puts up a caution sign and He says, there's danger ahead. Beware of the temptation to sin. And so He delivers this in, in this warning in two different ways. He says, Watch yourself, first of all, watch yourself that you don't become the tempter. And then secondly, he says, watch yourself that you don't become the tempted. So two things. Watch yourself that you don't become the tempter. Jesus is saying we must be concerned that we don't cause others to stumble. I want us to realize that Jesus is speaking to His disciples here. And so, it's not that He was speaking to others on the outside. He, he, was, he was seeing them as being susceptible to causing others to stumble. Uh, and he, he says, you've got to watch this. You're responsible for this. Uh, don't cause others to fall into sin. And so he wants them to know the seriousness of it, and he wants us to know as well. Look with me at verse 7. Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. 
notice as part of that, Jesus points out that temptations will come. He's saying we do live in a fallen world. And it's a fact that all of us here will be tempted. But he's also pointing out that people bear responsibility when it comes to temptations. You know, the, the world is really adept at avoiding responsibility, shifting it off. But to us, he says, no, you can't do that. You belong to me. You need to, to know and to own that responsibility which is yours. And the first responsibility that he points to which is ours is one that we have for others. He says, woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. He's, he's saying there that you have a responsibility for others and for their sin. I, I, he's not saying you, have, you bear all the responsibility for their sin, but you have a responsibility for them and for this. Now, before we get into uh, to, to opening that up further, I want to deal with one word that we see here. Uh, it's the word temptation. It, we find it three times in that one verse. Uh, the, the, the Greek word is uh, scandalon. It's, from, it's the word that we get the word scandalous from. You can kind of see the connection between the two, temptation and scandalous. But the word literally means a device for catching something alive. In other words, a trap. That's what's in view here. And a trap, if you think about it, a trap almost always involves something that draws in, something that allures. Uh, think for a moment about, uh, about a, a snap trap for rats. Now, many of us here have used those uh, in our homes to catch rats before. So, and I know that there are some here who are all too familiar with them right now. I've had conversations about that. Uh, but think about how that trap works. You put cheese on it, on the trigger, right? And then you, you set the trap. Now, it might be cheese, although if, if you're catching uh, some particular rodent, you, you've got to figure out what it is that draws. Maybe it's cheese, maybe it's peanut butter, maybe it's something else, but you've got to figure out what is that particular uh, item or particular food that's going to draw them into the trap. And that's what it does. That's how the trap works. It draws them in, and then the bar snaps down once they've tried to get it. Uh, now, every now and then, one will get away with the cheese and escape, but not often. Usually, they're ensnared in the trap. And that's what temptation is all about. Uh, Jesus says, Woe to the one who sets the trap. He's saying, Watch yourself. Don't draw someone away. Don't you be the stumbling block. And what he's doing, he's requiring us to think. To think, what might, what might I do that might ensnare someone else in? Now this is important uh, because you might never think of yourself as setting a trap for other people. In fact, I don't think we, we, we hardly ever will think of that ourselves, that I'm going to draw someone else into sin. The only time we might realize that if we're, is if we're looking to the Lord and we're asking Him, Lord, open my eyes to see. Help me to see where I might draw others into sin. He's calling us to be all in in our sanctification. Uh, and it, it can be in many different ways we can do this. We can do this as a leader. 
Am I modeling unrighteous behavior to others? Am I somehow acting the part of a hypocrite that draws others into sin? Uh, you might be a part of a group. You may have to ask yourself, have I, as part of this group, have I begun to, to gossip and, and wanted to have others to join in with me in that process? Similarly, have I become bitter about something? And have I, in my desire for company, began to share that bitterness with others and, and desired for them uh, to, to hear and to, to take part in this as well? Am I wearing clothing or behaving in some other way that somehow could be a snare to others? Now, all of this might, might sound a little bit strange, right? Uh, because here's the world's mindset. Why should I care if I have this impact upon others? Uh, and if they choose to listen and follow, that's their problem. Uh, if they become ensnared, well, that's up to them. That's the way that the world thinks. And, up, and, and Jesus actually makes that very point. If you look at the, the, the very beginning, uh, verse 7, he says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. He's saying that, that's what the world does. This is the way that the world thinks. But his point here is that you are different. You've got a responsibility toward others in this area of their sins. Think, think about all the one another passages that we have in Scripture. There are more than 50 of these. John 15, 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Romans 12, 10, Love one another with brotherly affection. 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all else, Love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that, you should, that we should love one another. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 And build one another up, just as you are doing. And then finally, listen to this. Out of, out of John 13, beginning in verse 34, a new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the second time. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. That's the third time in this same passage. Now these words point out this drastic difference between the disciple of Christ and the rest of the world that we're surrounded by. And this is what's behind the command that Jesus is giving to us. It's a call for us to, to live as one who is sanctified, to live who is one who is being changed inside, who is being set apart, and one who now has the power, and it literally is the power, to love others. You know, out of out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I read from it earlier, but here at verse 14, he, he, uh, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, and He, Christ, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the gospel, isn't it? 
Because of what I have done, you now are able to live differently. And the love of Christ controls us. He is at work and He gives us that power to, to look to those who are around us, those who are within the body, and to love them and to care about them and to even be concerned about their souls and about whether they might be drawn into sin. You know, later in that same passage, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He calls us here to look at, look at ourselves and then to look closely at our relationships with others within the body and to say, who might I be drawing into sin? How might I be setting the trap? Jesus says this because we're capable of it uh, without even realizing it. And so He says, watch yourself that you don't become the tempter. Then He also says here, watch yourself that you don't become the tempted. You know, Jesus clearly, in this passage, and we see uh, Him use these same uh, words or ones like them in the Sermon on the Mount and in other places, but, but He clearly uses hyperbole. That's an exaggerated statement in order to make a point. And He, he does that here. He uses this hyperbole in a particular way. Now, he's not talking about when he says, uh, cut off your hand or gouge out your eye. Of course, he's not talking about that literally. But he, he says this in order to, to cause us to see the importance of it and to cause us to examine ourselves in light of the grave danger of unrepentant sin. And we need to take that to heart. Uh, notice, at the heart of what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, you are responsible. There is individual responsibility. Jesus says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And verse 9 is very similar. He's saying, you do whatever is needed. You take action. But you need to recognize the root of the sin. Where does it come from? You need to take action to remove the temptation. Now that doesn't mean that, that others, and in particular one other, aren't involved in enticing you. The devil is called the great tempter, the father of lies. Peter says he prowls around like a, a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He was there... In the garden, with Adam and Eve, he was enticing. He was telling lies. All of that is true. But it didn't negate the responsibility that Adam and Eve had, and it doesn't negate your responsibility and my responsibility. And in that, in taking responsibility, and taking action, which is what Jesus is calling for here, there may be a cost. And there may be a significant cost. It could mean something like, and I've seen this before, it could mean needing to leave your job because there is at that job, at that workplace, a temptation that, that you know is not right and it can't remain. It can mean paying money month after month after month 
to put internet accountability software on your computer and, and humbling yourself and finding someone else to help hold you accountable. It might mean that you risk losing a relationship of a person that you've grown close to and that you don't want to lose, uh, that you can't imagine being without, but you are going to risk that. But whatever the cost is, Jesus is saying here that there is a far greater cost to continuing to allow yourself to remain under that temptation. A far greater cost, one that has eternal significance because temptation can lead to fatal damage to a person's relationship with God. You know, I think the image of that, the rat trap is very helpful here. Think about what happens. The rat smells the cheese. They see it. it it's good to the eyes. They smell it. Uh, it's a delight. Uh, and so there's a blindness there to this strange apparatus that the cheese is sitting upon. The rat never thinks it through, never, never for a moment considers the cost of this momentary delight until it's too late. And, and the bar comes down and the trap is sprung. Here's, uh, here's what James says about that same process. James chapter 1. He says, each person is tempted. Now, now think about that process with, with the rat coming nearer and nearer. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And when Jesus speaks about the fires of hell in this passage. He's not engaging in hyperbole there. Uh, he's speaking about eternal judgment, exactly what James is talking about here. And he's not talking about that happening, nor is James, because of just a single sin. James says when, when sin is fully grown... He's talking about when you allow, because this has happened and you're drawn into it, when you allow sin to reign in your life. And you've given in, you've allowed sin to take up residence so that the trap has sprung. You know, Christians do sin. But also, Christians resist sin. And resist sin. And resist sin. And repent from sin, even to their dying day. Now, as some of you may know, I'm, I'm, I'm on this committee in our presbytery, candidates and examinations committee. And so as pastoral candidates come in that are, that are going to be called to go to churches, uh, we interview them. And as part of our examinations of them, uh, we talk about the specific sin areas in their lives that they might be susceptible to. And I'll be honest, we're not shy in asking very direct questions of them about what might be a problem area uh, in their life, whether it's past or present. Why? Now, the world says, don't do that. It says that, that, that your time is your time. Uh, whatever you do with your private time is up to you. You've heard it before. As long as it doesn't hurt someone else physically, and maybe break the law in any obvious way, then whatever you do is your own private business. And that is the world's thinking. That's the world's uh, ethics. 
But what we know is that our lives are an open book before the Lord. And He's the one who matters. And we must recognize that. And not only that, but we, we must want that. Now, Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 13. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Question, what are you doing in the hidden recesses of your life? What if you were to go through that type of examination and were to need to honestly answer to someone else uh, what goes on in those places that you most would like to set aside and to hide? What temptations have you allowed to lure you in? Just remember that, that none of it, nothing, is hidden from the eyes of the Lord. Here's out of the Old Testament, out of Proverbs chapter 5. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he, the Lord, ponders all his ways. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. You know, again, those, those words, he dies, that's speaking of eternal judgment. That's the danger that we face when we allow ourselves to continue under temptation. Now, just to be clear, uh, as we read earlier in the confession, as we talked about perseverance of, uh, of the saints, now, these are the words, they whom God has accepted in His beloved, affectionately called and sanctified in His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. And those are true words uh, that are drawn from Scripture. And that, of course, should be a wonderful comfort to us. But it also can't be presumed upon. If you continue in the state of sin in an area and are unrepentant, you don't have true repentance there, then you can't see yourself as being described in that paragraph. Uh, because you're living as one who is on the outside. And that's why Jesus is giving this warning here. That's why He makes it so stark. And He says you need to do whatever it is, regardless of the cost, in order to remove the temptation that is drawing you in, and then continue to look to Him to do that work of renovation inside of you. Why? Because... We have a great salvation that is laid before us. A great salvation that is ours in Christ. One that far exceeds any and all of the temporary pleasures of this world and that it has to offer. Now that's what we're going to be singing about in our last hymn this morning. And there's, there's a verse uh, right at the end of that, that hymn that says this, these words says, finish then. This is a prayer to the Lord. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. That's a reminder of what God is doing when He does this work of sanctification in us. It is something that we need to desire. We need to be desirous of opening ourselves up as an open book before Him because we are, 
uh, and then allow Him to do that work and allow Him to open our eyes to be able to, to see our sin and to take it seriously and to begin to put into place those things that are needed to remove temptation from us. That He might continue that work that more and more we will become that new creation that He is creating by His Word and by His Spirit especially. And therefore, that we might be those who are made into that, that, that beautiful image, that perfect image of the Lord Jesus Christ, finally, when we are together with Him. And we will not, therefore, experience loss. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning for Your good promises. And we thank You, Lord, for that work that You promised to do uh, within us. Once we have come to You, once our hearts are submitted to You and we belong to Christ, uh, thank You that You do promise to continue that work on, to bring it to final completion. But we do pray for Your help in the process. Uh, we know that there are times when we fall back. That We know that there are times when we may doubt. There may be times when we stand in the way of that process and, and don't really desire for You to do that work in us. Help us, Lord, to see that this is good. This is right. That the work that You're doing is exactly what we need. And therefore, uh, Lord, help us to open our, ourselves up to You to do just that. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.